owned it. Yes, God, you're dead right. I, I did. I ate the tree. I'm so sorry. No one else to blame. It was all my fault. And God went to Eve, and Eve said the same thing. Total 100% responsibility. God, you've got me. I, 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 I'm going to own this one. I'll cop whatever comes my way, and I'll move forward with life. And you also know that that's a lie. They never did that. They started blaming each other and blaming God. And in that passage there, this is our first look at humanity at the very inception of this thing called irresponsibility. This is the moment where irresponsibility began to enter the heart of man. And we live in a society in an age and a day now, and I don't want to go over it. If you weren't here last week, jump on iTunes and uh, listen to the, the message last week. We talked, uh, gave a bit of a, a portrait of what the world looks like today, and, and irresponsibility is is, is a, a buzz, a fashionable thing at the moment. And anything that takes responsibility away from you or away from me is okay. In fact, our entire industry is built around taking responsibility away from people uh, because we're not responsible for anything now. And as time goes on, there are more and more reasons, whether they be you know, physiological or spiritual or you know, natural or societal. There are so many uh, things we can hang our hats on and take responsibility away from ourselves. So we've been talking about this issue of responsibility. <laughs> I want to share a little bit of a story with you this morning. Don't judge me, okay? I am a man. You cut me and I bleed. Uh, I have had my journey. I got saved at the age of 19. Came out of a non-Christian background and all that sort of stuff. I've shared my story a few times here. But when I was <coughs> just short of this encounter I had, this moment where I surrendered to God, I went out with some friends of mine. And we decided to go down to what was the Henry Rouse Tavern down in Ballina, and I went to school there. We went out one night, and we did what, we, what our group of guys did. We got dolled up, and we went out there. And, and uh, don't fill yourself. Guys, spend as much time in front of the mirror as the girls do. Okay? They just don't tell you about it. So anyway, we dolled ourselves up, and I must be honest, I was looking good. I was good. Okay? Wasn't I? <laughs> Big gulp, huh? <laughs> Well, see you later. Um, so we got all dolled up and we went out this particular night and it was about 2 o'clock in the morning and I remember walking out the front and I was sitting in the gutter with a friend of mine and we both looked at each other at the same time and we both had that urge when fluid goes in, fluid must come out. And so we decided at the same time we need to go to the toilet. So I've turned around and looked over my shoulder back in the door of the Rouse Tavern <laughs> and they had one uh, men's toilet and a lineup that came all the way pretty much out to the front door on the footpath of people waiting to get in. So me and my friend looked at each other at the exact same time, both had the same idea, confirmation, let's just do it here. So we decided that we would do our, our business just right there in the gutter, the front of the thing. And while I'm sitting there and I'm looking down, all of a sudden I had this spiritual encounter. I saw this glowing red light just in the in the puddle there just this glowing red light it was beautiful and then it turned blue and i'm thinking this is beautiful look at this then it turned red again and then it turned blue again and then all of a sudden i looked up and guess what there was a car in front of me with the same colored lights on the top flashing red and blue red and blue red and blue they jumped out they grabbed us they threw us in the car and they took us down to the police station there in Ballina and fingerprinted us and did all the stuff that goes with that kind of irresponsible behaviour. <laughs> and I got a sheet of paper given to me and so did my friend. 
And we had a court date. We had to go to Ballina Courthouse and we had to stand before a judge and we had to uh, be dealt with for the crime that we had committed. So I got my bit of paper and I rocked up on my day. I decided that I was going to go on in there and stand before the judge and the judge was going to say to me, how do you plead? And I said to him, well, if the line wasn't so big and there weren't so many people all at once needing to go, Your Honour, I wouldn't be in this situation. If they had more than one toilet in that place, Your Honour, then I wouldn't be... Who's the idiot at council that approved that building with one male toilet? Who did that? Because I think he's responsible for the situation I find myself in today. I think the, the people behind the bar who keep serving people. Surely you, you, there's got to be a, 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 a limit. And, and I could think of a thousand reasons why I was in that situation because it's easy to reach out and grab a hold of things when you're under pressure. But I stood before the judge and I said, I plead completely guilty. My dad used to say to me when I was a kid, you do the crime, you do the time. That was his saying. And so I said, Your Honour, it was stupid. I did a dumb thing and uh, I'll cop it. He said, right, guilty. And I got a $115 fine for what I did. Bumped into my mate and I asked him, so, you know, how did it go with you? (laughs) And he said, well, I decided to go and get a lawyer and fight the charge. So he did. I said, how did it work out for you? He said, well, I got a $350 lawyer's bill. And here's my point. Taking responsibility for your life will cost you. But not taking responsibility will always cost you more. All right? Taking responsibility for your own life comes at a price. But not taking responsibility comes at a higher price. There's a price to pay in life regardless. Um, How many husbands here do whatever they want, whenever they want, because they want? Rob's shaking his head profusely. It's like a fan blowing back at me, Rob. Slow down. Why? Because you have responsibilities. When you got married, I know this is going to sound bad, but there was a price that you paid. And I don't mean, you know, don't, don't jump on that. But all of a sudden, my life, my time, my money, everything is not me now. Now I, I have another person that I've chosen to do life with, and life changes. When we have children, there's a responsibility that goes with having children. And you have to factor them into the decisions that you make and the life that you have. When you go to work. It doesn't matter where we go in life. If we're going to be responsible in any environment, there's a price that we pay for responsibility. But it's always going to be a higher price that you'll pay in life if you choose not to be responsible. It's always going to cost you more to live an irresponsible life than it will to live a responsible life. Now, I think sometimes as believers, as Christians, I'm saved by grace, okay? Let me explain what that means for those that might not understand that. There's nothing I can ever do to make myself right with God. Not a thing. God is so perfect and holy and right. And when we sing songs like God is good, we think of goodness on a human finite level. We can't fathom with our brains what infinite goodness is because we don't live in an infinite world. So when we think of things such as love, of grace, forgiveness, we think about them on a human level. (laughs) We don't think about them in the hugeness that they actually are in God's eyes. Let me, let, me, let me paint good and bad this way. Let's imagine that the goodness of God was from the edge of that uh, stage there to here. And from, from, from where God is, that's his holiness, that's his perfection, that's his goodness. And let's imagine that the best act, the best deed I've ever done in my entire life is that big compared to the background of how good God is, right? So that's the best I've got to offer. 
Now, that's the worst I've got to offer. See, from where God's sitting, there's not much of a difference. My best and my worst, there's not much of a difference when you put it on the background of God's standard. Because God's standard is, is so high. When Jesus came, he didn't lower the standard. Grace didn't lower the standard. Jesus didn't come and, and lower the standard. He said, you know, once upon a time, if you, hated, uh, if you, you murdered someone, you were guilty of murder. I'm saying if you hate them. He raised the bar. Made it harder for this nation of people that thought, we've worked it out. We've got our 150 billion rules and things that we do. And if we just do all these things right, then God will let us into heaven. And Jesus came and said, you know what, you are so, you so missed the boat. These rules were not there so that you could try to attain them to prove that you're good enough to make it. They're there to show you that you'll never be good enough to get in the presence of God on your own strength and in your own efforts. So I can't enter into a relationship with God on my own efforts. I'm just not good enough and never will be good enough. So I rely on this thing we call grace, this unmerited favour of God that he presents to me. See, Jesus came down to earth, he reached down to us because we were never going to be good enough to reach up to God. So God reaches down to us in the person, this man Jesus, who walks about doing good and healing people and loving people and showing the world, hey, this is what the character and nature of God is like. Look at me and you've seen God. And then at about 33 years of age, whatever, he, he, he ends up giving up his life. Decides I'm 100% committed to what God has for me. I've been sent down here for a purpose and that purpose is to die. Because every time you break a law, there's got to be a punishment. Every time, without fail, there will be a, a, a punishment. The Bible puts it this way. It says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, you fail, then you deserve to die. When we put it on the background of the goodness and perfection of God, you deserve to be dead, wiped out. So we can't make it. So Jesus comes and goes, here's the deal. I will hang on a cross. And in doing so... I will take all the punishment that should be upon you for all the failings and the shortcomings that you've done. I'll carry it all myself so that all you need to do now is accept that it's been done for you and come follow me. Hand your life over to me. See, we're saved purely by grace. Purely by grace. But the problem for some of us is that we think, because we're saved by grace, we think everything else is all by grace too. We think our marriage will be perfect because we're two Christians and it's all by grace. We think that we will, our business will prosper because it's just all by grace. It's just all grace, you know? Jesus had this woman caught in adultery. She comes and the, the religious leaders drag this woman in front of Jesus. She's caught in the very act of adultery, an act that is punishable by death. Legally, by law, she could have been killed right there. And they stood there and they said, this is what the woman's done. Jesus makes a statement. He says, you who are without sin, you've got the right to throw the first stone at this woman. I've got a rock in my hand. Come take it off me. But make sure, that you're, make sure you're perfect yourself first because that rock might bounce back and hit you in the head. And they all walked away, the Bible says, but Jesus was still standing there. And Jesus was perfect. By law, Jesus could have thrown that stone at that woman. But he didn't because he's reflecting God. God's not wanting to punish us for our mistakes. That's why Jesus came. It's God going, I don't want to punish you. I love you too much. I love you too much. I love you too much. And so everybody walks away and Jesus goes, where's your accusers? She goes, they've all gone. I wonder if she's still a little bit nervous because she knew, well, there's still one man standing here and it's you. And you could probably do it. And Jesus says this, he says, 
They don't condemn you. He says, neither do I condemn you. But then he says to her, but go and sin no more. Remember that? Anyone read that in the Bible? I forgive you, but now I'm going to give you something responsible to do. Go and make some decisions, responsible decisions, good choices, and stop sinning. Stop sinning, because I don't want to be walking down this footpath tomorrow and have the same dudes dragging you in front of me again, going, oh, she's done it again. She's done it again. Now, the grace of God is huge. God loves us, but there is a call to responsibility. Grace is the entry point into relationship with God. Responsibility is the door we walk through to build on that relationship and to claim and lay hold of and live the life that God wants us to live. We need to take responsibility. In the Bible, in the Hebrew, which is what a majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, right? In ancient Hebrew, the word responsibility meant burden. It meant a burden. Moses had the responsibility of leading the children of Israel. It was a burden. The word means burden. In other words, sometimes responsibilities don't feel good. We love responsibility when it talks about the rights that go with that. But we don't really love responsibility when we have to start talking about the duties that go with that responsibility, you know? King David's walking around in the palace and he sees a beautiful woman over there on the roof of the adjoining apartment. It's good to be the king. She's beautiful. I want to go and get her. I love that. It's my right as the king. She hears the king wants her. What's her right as a servant to come? And we all know the rest of the story. David does the wrong thing. David, in that moment, hey, it's great to have the rights of the king. But when the prophet confronts him, he goes, you know what? Here's what you've done. God saw it. God knows. You've done the wrong thing because you're meant to be representing God to these people. And how do you think that went? All of a sudden, he didn't like that. But David was a man after God's own heart. He humbled himself and he made himself right. See, in the age we live, we love to be the manager at work. I want to roster myself off when the NRL Grand Final's on. I love that. I love it because it's my, I've got the right to do that. I do the right, I've got the right to do that. So I'm going to roster myself off every weekend, especially NRL Grand, I'm going to, but then when the part-time and casual employee rings in sick and I can't get anyone else to fill it, I don't want the duty of having to go to work that day. We want the rights to go with responsibilities, but we're not so happy with the duties. But the Hebrew word for responsibility literally meant burden. In other words, it doesn't always feel good. Hands up if every responsibility you have in life right now feels good. Who, which wife in this room, every responsibility that you believe goes with being a life partner to somebody feels fantastic? Loving it. Which husband, which parent? Which student? The responsibilities that go with being a student at school. You just love it. You wake up in the morning and you just, I can't wait to go to that place. I can't wait to have to put on that uniform, them shiny shoes, get on the bus, go to school and have them teachers tell me what I can and can't do. I can't wait. Living the dream. You better. I'll talk to your teachers. You see... Responsibility in the Hebrew meant a burden. In the Greek, the word responsibility has the connotation of being over something. Being over something. In, in Luke chapter 12, I want to read a passage out here. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation because it, it sounds really good. As in clearer to understand. Luke chapter 12, verse 42 to 46, it says this. And the Lord replied, A faithful, sensible servant... It's one to whom the master can give the responsibility 
of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. When we take responsibility in life for the things that we're meant to take responsibility for, there is always a reward. It will cost you something, but there will always be a payment. You'll always get a better return than you will if you choose not to take responsibility. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces. That's harsh, isn't it? Cut him in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. I've been given charge. The master comes to me and says, you guys are all working in the vineyard, look after you. So for a while there, first of all, why do you think the master would come and make me responsible rather than everybody else? I think it's because the master probably observed this person was a responsible person. You're responsible with what you have, so I'm going to give you some other responsibilities. But be responsible with what you have first if you want further responsibilities. And for a while there, the story says that he looked after everybody, but there came a point where he decided, um, you know what, I'm I'm not too worried about you guys and I'm going to cut your wages back and I'm going to make your working standards harder and I'm going to beat you if you don't do exactly what I tell you. I'm going to start mistreating you, then I'm going to start partying, going out and doing my own thing and so on. It's like he went backwards. He must have started with a sense of responsibility over his own self, over his own life. And then the master gave him more. And then as the master disappeared, he stopped being responsible for the more and then reverted right back to not even being responsible for himself. Every one of us in this room have responsibilities in life. Every single one of us. doesn't matter how old or how young we are, what our income is, whether we're a boss, an employee, an employer, whether we're a father, wife, a husband, a friend, a daughter, a son. Every role in life has responsibility attached to it. And we've all got different ones, but there's one responsibility, one area of responsibility everyone in this room shares this morning, right now, and that is the responsibility over your own life. You have responsibility over your own life. It's amazing. God God values that responsibility so much that he will not overpower you and make you do anything. He gave you a free will, the will to choose what you'll do with your life, what you won't do with your life. You've got the choice to be responsible or irresponsible. We live in an age of irresponsibility. We live in an age of irresponsibility. We live in an age of excuse finding. We live in a world where people are wanting to blame everything else for the outcomes that they themselves probably played a large role in contributing to. I read a, a, a quote once, I can't remember who said it, but he said, if I could kick in the backside the person most responsible for most of my problems, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a month. I wouldn't be able to sit down for a month. In order to be a responsible person, the first port of call for anybody is... Learn to take responsibility for your own life. Take responsibility for your own life. I want to go back to Genesis chapter 3, and I just want to pull out three things that I think we see there in Genesis chapter 3 about taking responsibility for our own life. There's three areas where we need to take responsibility. The first one is take responsibility for the thoughts that you think. Take responsibility for the thoughts that you think. Don't underestimate the thoughts that you allow to run in your head. There's an old saying, you can't stop a bird landing on your head, but you can stop him making a nest in your hair. Anyone ever heard that? You might not be able to stop that bird from landing on your head. Birds come from everywhere. 
Thoughts come from everywhere. We live in a, a world with so much stimulation going on everywhere. Once upon a time, perhaps a guy would be out on his tractor and, 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 or out in the field with just a bunch of sheep and cows and, and, and less things to think about, less stimulation, no mobile phones with, with Twitters and all kinds of information coming my way, no radios to keep the news coming or the talk shows. And there's so much stimuli in the world around us at the moment. There are so many things trying to get into your head. Some of those thoughts are from God. God speaks to us, I believe that. Some of those thoughts are from the enemy, they're from the devil. Some of those thoughts are just human thoughts. Not everything's God and not everything's the devil. We're humans and we have thoughts and flows of stuff that run through our head as well. But we need to be very, very careful the thoughts we allow to take root in our head. We need to take responsibility for the thoughts that we think. Eve was responsible. Adam was responsible. We don't know how long the period was between when God put them in a garden and said, this is very good, and they started walking to the time that the devil came along, and what did he do? He just planted a thought. That's all he did. It started with a thought. The devil didn't make them do anything. He just made a suggestion. He just made a suggestion. What did God say, really? No. Maybe that's not true. Maybe that's not true. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side. Maybe I should have married that other person. Maybe my life would be different. Maybe I should just pack it all in. Maybe I should just, you know, get all these kids out of the house as quick as I can so I can... Maybe I should change jobs. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. What I'm saying is it starts as a thought. It always starts as a thought. And what thoughts we allow to take root in our brains, they work their way out. It starts with a thought. It starts with a thought. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this. It says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That tells me something. There are going to be thoughts running through my head that at the time are not in obedience to Christ. And I have to do something. I have to take those things captive. I can't just have a case-sera-sera attitude and just let anything flip through my head and let's just see what the results are. I have to take those things captive. There are some thoughts coming into my head that are right. And I can dwell on those and think about those, but there are some that into my head that are just outright wrong. But what you do with those thoughts is you either take them captive or you allow them to take root. They will find their way into your world. We need to learn to take responsibility over our own thought life. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, allow those thoughts to take a bit of root. Allow those thoughts to take root inside of you. But don't just... Entertain any thought that enters into your head. Put, put, put your, your dukes up, as, as my older generation used to say when I was a kid. Put your dukes up and fight against that stuff that shouldn't be there. Not every thought that runs through your head is God. Not every thought's the devil. But whatever thoughts you let take root are going to have an impact on your life. I think sometimes we underestimate the power of our thoughts. We just think they're just things that run around in our head. 
Well, you know, how did the devil get mankind to first turn their back on God? It started with a thought. It simply started with a thought. Really? Let me give you something else to think about. That's what the enemy said. First thing, take authority over the thoughts you think. The second thing where we need to take authority, take responsibility for in our life is take responsibility for the imaginations you entertain. Imaginations are closely linked to your thoughts. I see imagination like this. Imagination is when we have a thought and we put it on a canvas and we paint a background to it and we give it context. A thought might be one-dimensional. An imagination takes that one-dimensional thought and turns it into a three-dimensional image, picture. You know, nothing exists in this room today that wasn't first a thought. Think about that. There's nothing in this room that wasn't first a thought. Somebody didn't just get some pieces of metal, a bit of plastic, and throw it in the air, and this thing appeared, and they went, ooh, gee, that's fantastic. Never seen that before. No, no, somebody had already seen it. Somebody had already gone, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could create something? Because everyone's sitting on the ground all the time. Wouldn't it be great to get something that elevates people up off the ground? and, you know, could, could, could stop their bottoms from getting dirty and muddy in the wet. Wouldn't it be great? Somebody thought it. Somebody thought it. When this building was being built, somebody thought about it before it became an actual thing. They had a thought. They allowed that thought to take root. They come up with an image, a picture, and then they create something. That's what imagination is. That's why it's so important that you be careful with the thoughts that you allow to take root in your head. Because those thoughts, if you allow them to take root, they'll become imaginations. And you'll start seeing pictures. You'll start thinking things. You'll start painting yourself a different type of life. Some of those different types of life are probably really good for you. But you can also paint a different type of life that's not going to be really good for you. But in your head, you can create this picture that, wow, it's It'd be so much more better if I just did that, made that choice, went in that direction. Let me ask you a question. What changed? What changed in the fruit on that tree? Did the fruit change? Exactly right. That fruit that Eve suddenly looks at and goes, all of a sudden the Bible says she saw that it was good for food. She saw that fruit before and it wasn't good for food. Now all of a sudden the Bible says after having a thought planted in her head, she turns, she looks at the same piece of fruit and all of a sudden that piece of fruit looks good for food. Hang on, five minutes ago it wasn't good for food. And now you're looking at it and all of a sudden it is good for food. What happened? What changed? You have a thought. Let that thought, dwell on that thought long enough, let it take root, agree with it, and you'll start seeing things that aren't real. We call it fantasizing about a different life, a different partner, a different career, a different whatever. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying with careers and stuff like that, but there are some set things in life that I believe we make those decisions, we run with them. But if we allow thoughts to take root, those thoughts become imaginations. That's exactly how the devil got Eve. One minute she looked at the tree, she saw, God said, don't touch that fruit, it's no good keep away from it, and she agreed with it. The devil whispered a thought in her head. Next minute, you know, she looks back and goes, gee, that looks really good for food. It was a thought. She allowed that thought to take root, and when we allow thoughts to take root, fully blown, those thoughts become imagination. She saw a different reality because of the thought that she allowed to take root in her brain. 
First thing is we need to take responsibility for the thoughts you think. Secondly, the imaginations you entertain. And third and finally, and obviously, you need to take responsibility for the actions that you take, the things that we actually do. It starts with a thought. We, we, we get these thoughts in our head and then we paint this picture of outcomes and what things will look like and what they could be and so on. And fully blown, it paints a canvas in our brain and then if we let it keep on going and keep on going, those, those, those portraits will become actions. We will then start doing things. We will start taking steps towards whatever that picture is and we need to take responsibility for the choices that we make. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of a guy called Viktor Frankl. Anyone heard of Viktor Frankl? wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, Victor was a Holocaust survivor, was in concentration camps in Nazi Germany, <coughs> German concentration camps. And he wrote a book, and, and, and the book, Man's Search for Meaning, if you get a chance to read it, I think it's a great book. There's some fantastic stuff in there, and it's used in psychology studies and things like that as well. He made this statement. He said that the space, talking about the space between when something happens... And when we respond, here's what Victor said. He said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. Let me put it this way. Between the way that I was raised and where I am now, there's been a space. Between the comment you made at me when you snapped at me and put me down and my first response to that, there'll be a space. Between the time that Steve punches me in the nose and I stand back up off the ground to decide my reaction, there's a space. He said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In, one res- in our response lies our growth and our freedom. So between what's happened to me in my life and, the, and, and my response to that, there's space for me to choose how I will respond to that. And in my response to that lies my growth and freedom or my lack of growth and my continued bondage. When we talk about responsibility, it's so easy to sit here and to hang my hat on all kinds of things. And you know what? Here's the thing. A lot of the things that you want to hang your hat on are valid. Some of us were not raised great. Okay? Some of us were not raised great. Some of us have not been treated fairly. Some of us have had massive injustice thrown our way. That's a reality. It's a reality. We don't downplay it. We don't say it didn't happen like that. We don't say that. It happened. Some of us, we're in situations right now that are not great, not good. Yep, they're real. We don't downplay them. We don't pretend they don't exist. They're there. They're real. But what responsibility does is it says I'm not going to use that as an excuse to stay where I am. I'm not going to use that as a reason why I'm going to spend the next 30 years in bondage in anger to that person. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life on the dole unemployed because that's just the way it's always been and someone told me I was dumb and never get a job. Not going to spend my life not trying because I failed once. There's a space. And in that space, I have the power to choose. Responsibility, I love the word, and if I broke it down really simply, the best definition I can give for responsibility is maintaining the ability to respond. When I take responsibility, 
What I'm saying is I have the ability to respond to this. I'm not a victim. I can choose to be a victim. Or I can go, I'm not a victim. This sucked. It's no good. But I'm going to make a choice to head in a certain direction. I'm going to make a choice to forgive. I'm going to make a choice not to fight fire with fire. I'm going to make a choice to reach for the stars, even though I've got, I could justifiable reasons why I shouldn't. I'm going to make a choice to better myself, even though I have justifiable reasons. I could, I could sit here right now and be justified, and everybody would probably look at me and nobody would, nobody would begrudge me because they understand the pain I'm feeling. But I'm not going to use that as an excuse. I'm going to go and get help. I'm going to talk to a counsellor. I'm going to get financial help. I'm going to go and start knocking on doors, looking for a job. I'm going to, to contact that person as much as it grates me and say, I forgive you. And if I can't do that, I'm going to talk to somebody and say, help me because I can't forgive them. I'm going to do something. I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to try to move forward with my life. Mankind was created responsible. Adam and Eve were made to carry responsibility. God put them in the garden, said, look after this, look after that, because you were created to be responsible. And then they threw it all away because they didn't take responsibility for the thoughts that entered their head. Did God really say that? They didn't take responsibility for the imaginations they entertained. Look at that tree. All of a sudden, that looks really good for food. And they didn't take responsibility for the actions they took. Here, Adam, have that. It was the devil's fault. It was Eve's fault. God, your fault. You put it here. We need to learn to take responsibility for our life. Those of us who are Christians, grace is no uh, excuse to just think your life's going to be perfect. The grace of God is there for us, for our mistakes, our shortcomings, our failures. But I can take you to 100 scriptures where the Bible talks about human responsibility, human choice to get to the destination you need to get to, to be the person you want to be, to get the outcome in life that you want, to have the family you want, to have the children that you want, the business that you want, to have the integrity you want, to, 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 to impact the world the way that you want. There are things that we have to do and we need to learn to take responsibility for our own life. There you go. I've just thrown some more pumpkin out at you. It wasn't a Mars bar day. But there's a little more pumpkin, something to think about. Finish up. Responsibility is a doorway to your preferred future. Your future is set in stone if you're going to play a victim. Your future won't change if you feel like you have no ability to change it and you feel like you've, you're stuck or your future's set in stone, somebody else is controlling it. Take responsibility, it opens a doorway where my future can be different than what it is right now because I realise I've got the power to change some things. I've got the power to make some different decisions, to go in a different direction. It opens a doorway to my preferred future. Taking responsibility costs you, but not taking it costs you more. Responsibility does not always feel good. And finally, taking responsibility for your life starts by taking responsibility for the thoughts you think, the imaginations you entertain, and the actions that you take. Amen? Father, I want to thank you for this morning, Lord. God, I just pray that uh, as we go from this place, (laughs) that, Lord, we wouldn't just... um, God, don't let us just move on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Lord, let your word take root in our hearts. God, speak to us, Father. I pray for, for those of us in this room right now, God, if there are areas of our life where we need to take responsibility. Father, I pray you'd speak to us. Give us the keys, the strategies, the help, the support around us, God, to be able to do that. God, thank you that you have such an incredible future lined up for your people. You have such an incredible uh, future planned 
for us, Lord. And God, we don't want to, uh, Lord, have a, a Doris Day type of faith case, Sarah, whatever it will be. God, I know that we partner with you, we walk with you. And God, we have to make choices every day, decisions every day, and we do them with you, and we get to that place that you want us to be at, Father. So I just pray for each person here. Let us uh, not walk away and forget it, God. Let that seed rest inside of us, God. Let us think about it. And let us take action. Let us do something with what we're hearing. And God, I pray in the next seven days for everyone in this room, give every single one of us the chance to tell somebody about the goodness of God that doesn't yet know it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you Sunday or we'll see you at the prayer meeting on Thursday, hopefully. Prayer meeting, yeah, if you can be there, it'd be great. So again, we just part the chairs and we just pray for 45 minutes and you can be on your way and, and head off home. So. Have a great weekend, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your Father's Day.